for uh, being with us uh, during this series with Pastor Peppers and now being with us today as we're having this little follow-up series dealing with some questions that uh, are related to resetting our lives according to your law. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So last night we began our little mini-series looking at the power of God's love. If you were not here last night, I encourage you to watch that. It was a review of God's love as seen through the lens of Psalm 139. And then this morning at 10 o'clock in our church study time here in Haskell Hall, we looked at God's law and his love. And we took a closer look at how God's law is not burdensome. It's an expression of his love and it's just holy, good. And we looked at what that means in terms of resetting our lives. And today, uh, during this time, we'll look at the final victory of God's love and really how to live a, a new covenant lifestyle uh, because God's law is a big drag if you don't have a new covenant experience. It's a minister of death. It's a letter that kills and all the texts that we could look at that relate to that. And I want to talk about some of those texts in our midweek service and start to go through some of those that sometimes cause confusion. We talk about the law being perfect, holy, just, righteous, spiritual. It's written on the hearts, ordained in the life. These are all Bible texts. It's established by faith. It's the truth. It converts or restores the soul. It's a law of liberty and freedom. It's to be fulfilled in the life of spirit-filled believers. But there's also other texts. It's the power of sin. It brings condemnation. It's written on stone. It's a letter that kills. It's not based on faith. It fails the truth. It's a curse. It brings slavery and bondage. It must die in order to have a relationship with Jesus. What do all those texts mean? And is there confusion? And so we'll be looking at those beginning Wednesday night. And there's absolutely no confusion, but hopefully today we'll get a good start on seeing what really the problem might be. So as we mentioned uh, last night and then this morning, you know, there's a great controversy in the world between hate and love, between Christ and Satan. The thief comes not but to hurt, kill, and destroy. So Satan is always trying to hurt, to kill, to destroy, to take away our peace, to take away our joy. And Christ is, is trying to do the opposite. I have come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly, John 10.10 10 says. So we have this great controversy, you might say, always going on in our own hearts and our own minds and everybody we meet where the devil is attempting to steal their joy and Christ is trying to bring them a fullness of joy. So we looked at that key psalm, I remind you here of the psalm um, in its original language so that you can read it in its pure form um, psalm here, uh, Psalm 139, we looked at. And let's just by way of review, what were the points that we made last night to see if anybody knows? What were the points we made based on Psalm 139? God fully formed us. He fully follows us and fully loves us. Yeah, very good, very good. Much better than this morning. Um, fully loves us. 
Um, and because of that, he also, it says, does not leave us. And because of that, what do we want to do? As a result, what do we want to do? Fully accept him and fully defend him. And then also in gratitude, what do we ask him to do? To lead us and to guide us. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Right? And that's what we talked about. uh, Because his way is found in the sanctuary, we're told in Psalm 77. But the sanctuary's culmination. The sanctuary was a summary of the Exodus. Reminding them of how they were brought out of Egypt. But it led to the most holy place where he had ensconced his law, and he wanted to put it not just in granite, but ingrained it on their hearts and minds. And that was the whole purpose of the Exodus experience. So what is it that defines God's everlasting way? We found not only the sanctuary, but the law of God, and we studied that more fully this morning. So if you weren't here, please review that tape. It was a very interesting and, I think, fruitful study. In fact, I had some people text me in between services for the notes on that. So I'd encourage you to go back and watch that if you want unable to be there. So the largest quotation from the Old Testament to the New is this quotation where God wants to write his law on our hearts and minds. Jeremiah 31, 29 through 34, it should say, is then repeated in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 through 12, and then repeated again in Hebrews 10, 16 and 17, And in Hebrews 10, 16 and 17, or Hebrews 10, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all say the same thing. I want to write my law in your hearts and in your minds. And this is after the Christ event, after Christ had died on the cross. This is the large objective of God to put his law in our hearts and minds because it's a definition like we learned in our last hour of love. But there's a problem. As we saw also in our last hour, Some people, in fact the devil himself and others maybe unwittingly joining him, they don't like God's law because it kind of goes across what they're doing, what they believe or what they want to do in life. And so instead of saying, Lord, change me, they say, I will change the Lord, I will change his law. In fact, in this nation even, the law is viciously under attack attack by the judicial system of this very nation. I won't get into that, but I would just say some of the most recent actions by the Supreme Court have been directly in opposition to five of the Ten Commandments. And if you break one, you you break them all. So we live in a time when God's law, definition of love, is being attacked and people are attempting to change times and laws. Just as we saw in history in Daniel 7, we had those kingdoms that were mentioned and then that little horn power uh, the papacy power that for 1260 years was known for its attempt to think and change times and laws so instead of following God's law would boldly say I'm not following it in fact I have changed it and we'll continue looking at that as we go forward in subsequent times together. So that's problem number one, just trying to change something you don't like um, or you don't want to be bothered with. 
Um, or problem number two, equally a devastating problem, is this. It's well-intentioned but faulty nonetheless. And let me see if we can look at it. God says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. But they broke his covenant. And um, so they were having an old covenant experience. That's why even in the Old Testament it talked about the need for a new covenant experience. And it's not historical. Uh, new covenant examples in the New Testament are all Old Testament characters. So we can't say something changed because of history. It's experiential. Does anyone understand what I'm saying? The largest examples of living like God wants us to live are taken from the Old Testament and actually talked about in the New Testament. Who's one of the largest persons talked about the New Testament as an example of living the right way? Abraham. Where is he from? The Old Testament. It's not a historical issue. It's an experiential issue. There was Cain. That was an Old Covenant experience. There was Abel. That was a New Covenant experience. It's not historical. It's experiential. And you can instantly have either an Old Covenant or a New Covenant experience. Well, what does it mean to have an Old Covenant experience? Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. I was talking to someone this last week who said, you know, I'm very interested in all the conditions in the Bible. Because if I don't meet the conditions, then somehow I'm not accepted. Um, and this looks like a condition. How many think it looks like a condition? Um, and certainly, this is exactly how the children of Israel took it. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came, called for the elders, laid before them the words, which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, what did they see? Read it with me. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back their answer, answer the people to the Lord. We'll do it. We'll do it. Again, Exodus 24, 3, the same thing. Moses came, told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, read it. All that the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. We'll do it. And this goes on numerous times in the Old Testament. Uh, the promise of keeping God's law and uh, given by the people. Again, uh, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform the what? Ten commandments, and he wrote them on tablets of stone. So what is the covenant? It is actually the what? The Ten Commandments. So... Um, this is what they promised they would keep. How'd they do? How, how did they do? How, how have you been doing with that? How many of you came to church here to be honest? Or do I need to attend AA? How many of you are going to be honest? How many of you have, have had any problems keeping God's law this week? All right, not as many as I thought should raise their hands. But... 
they said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. And of course, um, that is possible for, through God's power, but not your own. Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers since the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. My covenant, which they what? They broke. Though I was a husband to them, saith the Lord. So I actually live with them as a dutiful husband with a wife. I was attentive. I bore them up on eagle's wings. Took them on plane rides, you might say. I did everything. And yet they broke the covenant. Now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, Hebrews 8, 6. Insomuch he is also a mediator of a what? A mediator of a what? A better covenant which was established on better promises. So does that mean the Ten Commandments were changed? What was the problem? Was it the commandments or was it the promises that were the problem? Very clear in the New Testament. All the Ten Commandments are repeated in some form or other. Every single one. And so it wasn't the Ten Commandments that were the problem. What was the problem? It was those promises that were made. And this is why the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for the second. You can have as many laws as you want and promises, but if they're not kept, the covenant's broken. And he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Some reads these texts as to say that the Ten Commandments themselves are done away with, but I think it's fairly clear that the problem was an over-aggressive belief that in their own strength they could keep God's law. It is impossible in your own strength to do that. How many of you have ever met someone who in their own strength thought they could do something they could not do? Nobody? Okay, three or four of you. Um, I remember one of my sons, I won't name which one, but it was the top two. Um, they, he was quite young at the time, and he said, Dad, I want a jackknife. I, I want a knife. I need to get a knife. And he just kept talking about this knife, so finally I got him a knife. Five minutes later, he's crying. His finger is cut. Two fingers are cut. And I was feeling very guilty for listening to him and giving him something he could not handle. How many of you have ever done that? I remember, I remember someone told me that I could ride their motorbike and told me that I could handle it just fine. <laughs> it was a very powerful motorbike. And I did not handle the motorbike fine. The motorbike handled me. Next thing I know, anyway, it was not pretty. And this was the problem. Do you remember the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, which is the, the genesis of the New Covenant? The New Covenant was available from the book of Genesis all the way through the Old Testament. And it always was available in terms of the experience. It's not historical, it's experiential. And this is what they had forgotten, and this is what messed up the situation. This shall be the covenant that I will make 
with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. What's it say? I will put my law in their inward parts. And when I stop reading, you read it. I will write it, my law, in their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is the promises of God in the Old Testament concerning the law given on Sinai. And these are all statements who is looking to who in terms of a promise, the people or the provider of the law. No, it's very clear. It's not the people. It's who? The provider of the law. So his biddings are also his enabling. So if he says to do something, he says he's going to do it. And by the way, notice something else. Where does forgiveness originate? It's not in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. And it's in the context of what? The law itself. The law of God, right? So forgiveness and mercy, he knows you're going to need that. I'll remember their sin no more. But notice, this. would you say these are better promises or worse promises? They're actually better promises than the promise of others. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Here they are with their bold uh, aspirations. For the Lord our God is he who brought us out of our fathers, up out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who did these great signs in our sight and who preserved us in all the way that we went among the people through whom we passed. So notice, they're actually acknowledging something. They didn't do it. God preserved them. They don't preserve themselves. God brought them out. They didn't bring themselves out. And they're beginning to understand in these statements um, what somehow they forgot, which is why there needed to be a new. The word new in Hebrew is literally renewed. It was already there. It was now being what? Renewed. How many think we need a renewed covenant experience every single day? This is the experiential new covenant experience that Cain could have had, but Abel did. And Esau could have had, but Jacob did. And so there always are these examples in the Old Testament. So problem number one, I will change or get rid of the law. This is what some people do. They say, I don't think that I want to follow the Sabbath. I don't know if it's valid or not. Most of my friends say no. What I learned here or there. It's very clear in the Bible, though. The Sabbath is there from the Old and New Testament 128 times. But some people say, I'm going to get rid of that. Or I don't like what it says about... Um, one of the maybe another commandment. Maybe I want to have two wives instead of one wife. Maybe I want to do this or do that. So I will change or get rid of the law. Problem number one. But problem number two, I will keep the law in my own power. It's it's equally a equally heinous problem. So you remember um, Abram, right? Genesis 15, Abram 
You know, God said to him in chapter 12, I will make of you a great nation. You'll have as many children as the stars in the heavens and the sands of the sea. And so he believed God, sort of. But then it took some time. He was getting older, 80, 90. He goes, you know, <laughs> I, I think God might need some help. Maybe Eliezer of Damascus will raise up a child for me, it says in Genesis 15. God says, no, no, just let Eliezer be Eliezer. I'm going to give you a child. So then he says, hey, 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 Hagar. Maybe his wife actually recommends this. Why don't you go uh, create a child with Hagar? Should men, should we always listen to our wives? Be careful how you answer. This could be your last church service. But, you know, unfortunately, this was a bad advice. And uh, you listened to it. And they had Ishmael. What does the word Ishmael mean? God hears. Look, we had a baby. God hears. This is it. This is the answer. Five years old, seven years old, ten years old, thirteen years old. Then God comes and says, look, I'm going to make of you a great nation. He gives the promise again. And what does Abram say? Oh, that Ishmael would walk before you. And he goes, no. It's a very simple answer. No. Oh, no. And this is by definition, Abraham in his old covenant experience. Attempting to do things by what? Works. This is what happened in the Middle Ages with the Sabbath being changed from Sabbath to Sunday. Catholics said, look at all the pagans. They all worship the sun god. We can't fight them. Let's join them. We'll go ahead and help God out and ourselves and the church rosters by changing that day. Plus, we'll get rid of the people who killed Jesus. That's the Jews. So the two motivations were expediency, and so they changed God's law. Um, and this is exactly what Abram did in his old covenant experience. Right? So finally, um, he comes around to it and he realizes that his works, he can't be saved by his works. He needs fully God's grace. God does a surgery on him. He's circumcised. This becomes very big in the New Testament. But it's big because it's saying essentially to Abraham, look, I want you to remember in your most intimate times now with your wife that I'm the one who's going to bring you a child. Not you, not your works, but by my works. Amen? And finally he gets it and his name is changed from what? Abram to Abraham and Sarah, Sarai to Sarah, Ra. That's breathing out all of you, ah. And when there's nothing left of your breath, God takes over. It's not your works, but it's God's works in and through you. This is the background to Galatians, <laughs> right? So, um, Abraham, it says, 
believed, finally, finally, you might say, he believed, he faithed the Lord, and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. It was imputed unto him. It was imparted to him. It was not his work. It was the work of God. You have a kid at that age, that's God. Hallelujah. So this is the foundation of the New Testament. New Testament makes no sense without this and all the texts that we are going to be covering in the next coming weeks. What is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. He can't do it. Obedience is a gift. Hello? Obedience is a gift. Romans chapter 1. Obedience to the faith. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, faithfulness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So obedience of God's law is a fruit of the Spirit. When man sees their own nothingness, Abraham, they can become Abraham. They can, he can do something. When man sees their own nothingness, they're prepared to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And I dare say, many of us that are very excited about the law of God, maybe we newly discover it, we fall into this trap of thinking that we actually can do stuff we can't do. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Let me read that again. What is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which it is not in his power for himself to do. Can you save yourself by your law keeping? That doesn't mean you shouldn't be law keeping, but can you save yourself by that? Can you even do that without power from someone else? There's nothing you can do. And this lays the glory of man in the dust. But you may be like Abraham. It might take you a, a number of years to figure that out. How many of you have now figured that out? That all you're trying is not really working. And how many of you figured out it's not your trying that works, but your trusting that works? So the real issue of the Old Covenant was even seen in the Old Testament. Joshua and Caleb, they understood this. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. Why was he saying that? Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh who were among those who had spied out the land tore their clothes and spoke to the congregation saying, the land we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. If the who? If we just get more cunning, we get more technology, if someone will give us weapons, if someone... No. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. It's not what we do, it's what he decides. He that began a good work in you will complete it. You won't. He will do it. Right? I mean, it's even a bad analogy. You heard about the mouse and the elephant that crossed the bridge? 
And the mouse looked up at the element and said, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? <laughs> and even that much we don't do. We don't even shake the bridge as much as a mouse did. He's doing all the shaking. And this is the idea God wants to lay the glory of man in the dust. So if you think you're the strong one today, you're the weakest one here. You think you're just doing quite fine with your works? <laughs> no. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. All the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. See, they understood when God said to do something, he would, let, he would help you do it. And when they said not to do something, then don't do it. But it was all of who? The Lord. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do not do this. What's it say next? For your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. So whenever you do something right, it's not for your sake, but to bring glory to who? See your good works, and they glorify your Father in heaven. Galatians 1.24, and they glorified God in me. Not me, God. So not taking credit for anything that you do. We had a beautiful baptism last week and Madeline was baptized and he said, anything I do, I'm wretched. I heard someone gasp. Oh no, you shouldn't have said that. No, that's exactly what she should have said and everyone should say because we're all wretched, poor, pitiful, and blind. We're rich and increased with goods. And we think we have need of nothing, but we need everything. The Laodicean condition is one of not being converted because we're getting this wrong. When the nations shall know, the nations shall know that I am Yahweh, saith the Adonai, the promise keeper, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. I am hallowed. <laughs> Yeah, you're supposed to be part of my demonstration, not your demonstration. It's a subtle but very significant difference. How many can see the subtle but significant difference? Now look at these, look at these things. These are from the Old Testament preaching the New Testament gospel. And by the way, the Old Testament people were saved by the same gospel as the New Testament. Right? That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. These had the gospel preached to them as did us. And that's what it says in Revelation 14, 6 in heaven, the everlasting gospel. And that's what it says in Hebrews chapter 13, the eternal covenant. So it was the same gospel, God spelled, gospel, falling under the idea of what he and only he can do. For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of the peoples, bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, 
and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from your idols. And what? I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to what? Cause you to what? In my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Why? Why will you keep the judgments and do them? Because you'll let me do it. I will do it in you. How many can say hallelujah to this? And by the way, some people uh, talk to a lot of people recently about, you know, baptism. You know, sometimes we get the idea that we prepare people for baptism. God prepares people for baptism. And the more you tell someone that they're now all good and they're going to be able to do stuff on their own, the less helpful that is to the people you're working with. Because then they get this idea that they can do something. You can't do anything except allow God to do something in you. We don't so much prepare for baptism as baptism prepares us. Let me say that again. We don't so much prepare for baptism as baptism prepares us. Let me say that again. We don't so much prepare for baptism as baptism prepares us. What does it say in Acts chapter 10, verse 37? He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good. This is Jesus himself. Jesus was anointed with what? The Holy Spirit and power and went about doing good. When was he anointed with the Holy Spirit? At his baptism. How many think of Jesus needed the anointing to go about doing good that you might as well? So be careful about how you're saying, oh, you're not ready to be baptized or this or that. Actually, baptism is part of the preparation. Hello? You guys sometimes wonder, why are you so interested in baptism, Pastor Don? Because it is part of the empowerment. That's why. You know, don't tell someone they've got to go 600 studies before they get baptized. As if your works are going to prepare them. Are you with me on this? This is, this is a, a common mistake but can you see how these texts are related to this? How many of you can see how these texts are related to this? I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. I will cause you to walk. <laughs> I know the text, teaching them all things whatsoever I commanded you. But I also know how long it took for them to be instructed. It didn't take the six months of studies. It simply took them coming to a place where they said, what must I do? And that was saying, I don't have any ability. What do you want to do? And God can work with that. How many think God can work with that? Then you shall dwell in the land I gave your, to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. And what? I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. How much of your uncleanness? <laughs> All of it. You're not delivering yourself from any of it. Who's delivering you? This is the gospel in the Old Testament, right? It's only amplified in the New Testament. The only thing that changes in the New Testament is the better promises of a better person who was already foretold on the types and symbols of the Old Testament. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring forth famine upon you. I will multiply the fruit of your trees. 
New Testament says, I'll give you the fruits of the Spirit. New Testament, Old Testament calls people trees. They should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bring forth its fruit in its season. Branch also shall not wither. So I will multiply the fruit of your trees and increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine throughout the nations. Look at these, these powerful promises. Then you will remember, well, what should we do? Remember all your evil deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. This is laying the glory of man in the what? Dust. It's not proudly saying, look, I do this, I thank God that I'm not like other men. Hmm. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. For what purpose? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So the law is not done away with. It's fulfilled in us by who? By us? No. By God. By God. Not according to the flesh, but according to the what? The Spirit. Thus saith the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you, I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will what? Also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled, instead of lying desolate in the sight of those who pass by. So they will say, the land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the wasted desolate and the ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Ultimately, we're going to go back to Eden, right? And Eden will be restored. And that's the whole big objective, but... It's going to be based on his grace only. Then the nations which are left around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. How many think this is a better promise? Are you beginning to see that's a better promise? So some of us have been standing on the premises when we need to be standing on the promises. And the promises need to be God's promises, not our promises. I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. Look at that. That's our job. Inquire and say, I can't do anything. Please do this for me. This strikes at our pride, doesn't it? People be saying, you know, I've been a Christian for 30 years and I've never done this or that. Boy, yikes. Maybe, maybe not say that. Anything you did is what God did. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices at the flock of Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men and they shall know that I am the Lord. So when you see your spouse change, you know that's a miracle. Right? right. <laughs> People are saying amen and they're probably going to have a 
Something to talk about this afternoon. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. I've done it. (laughs) Does this sound too good to be true? It should, because it's called the good news. If it doesn't sound too good to be true, you're not understanding it. It is almost too good to be true. It's the gospel. And if you don't think you need it, you really do need it. (laughs) And if you don't think it's good news, it's especially good news for you who don't think it's that great. It's the best news ever. Right? (laughs) But it is true. Well, you say, look, my relationship with God is dead. I have no hope. I've failed so many times. I'm like a carcass laying on the ground. I've never, ever, ever, ever been able. (laughs) The hip bones connected to the... (laughs) I've never heard this song. Can these bones live? Can you, who are dead in trespasses and sins, live? Remember the story of Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, set me down in the midst of the valley and was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by all around. And behold, there were many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. No, no bone marrow in those bones. No erythropoiesis going on. He said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered and said, oh, Lord, you know. (laughs) I don't know, but you know. And by the way, that's what we should be saying when we're ready to give up on somebody. And again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. He got a picture of this guy. He's out there. He said, be like me going to the museum in Egypt in a couple weeks and start prophesying to the sarcophaguses. People look at me, what's wrong with you? But you know, they found in these sarcophagi, that's a, maybe sarcophagi girls and guys, I don't know, but they found in these sarcophaguses, they found some seeds, 3,000 years old, and they took the seeds out and they planted them. Guess what? They put some water in them and they sprung up just like they'd been put there yesterday. Thus saith the Lord to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and you and bring flesh upon you. I will cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and then you shall know that you did it. No, you didn't do it. God did it. How many like these Old Testament gospel stories? You don't have to go to the New Testament for the gospel. New Testament got it from the Old Testament. It's not a historical thing. It's an experiential thing. It can happen any time in the Testaments. Does that make sense? So I prophesied and I was commanded. And so as I prophesied, there was a noise, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. The skin covered them over. But there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of men, and say, say to the breath, thus saith the Lord God, come down from the four winds of breath and breathe on these slain that they may live. So what a wonderful story. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath came into them. 
And they lived, stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Though what? Even though Daniel, Ezekiel, and Noah were there, they don't save themselves, the Bible says. They're all saved by grace through faith. Nobody can say, well, you know, I'm just this godly guy. I'm just a little better than the other guy. No, 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 no. All the house of Israel. You think about the most holy person you, you can think of. They need this message as much as you. Amen? And they indeed said, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves. You see, after laying the glory of man in the dust, which is like being in your grave, what Martin Luther saying, when you realize you're nothing, then you can become something. I'll bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. Wow. And I will put my spirit in you. You shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it. And, 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 you didn't perform it and speak it. God spoke it and performed it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I was thinking how to illustrate this as we close. <laughs> and I thought of this guy, Blondin. I remember this guy. They would go across Niagara Falls. They said that he probably spent 10,000 miles on the rope two-inch rope. He, he, he crossed Niagara Falls 200 times. He did all kinds of things. He would take pictures of the crowd. He would put a string down and get a bottle of wine from the people on one of the, the, uh, the ocean mist or whatever those boats are. He'd bring it up and drink it to the glee of everyone watching. He would go over blindfolded he would swing upside down, sometimes would swing by one arm. People thought, wow, this guy is amazing. One day he said, you think you could do this? No one said that, but he said, do you think I could take you across on my back? Nobody said anything except for his manager because he'd seen him do it so many times. Oh, by the way, one time he cooked an omelet some waffles, and he dropped them down to the boat below to feed them breakfast. <laughs> he did all these amazing things. By the way, it's amazing what you can do if God's in your life. I'm not saying this guy had God in his life, but I mean, it's amazing 
what God can do. It's not so amazing what you can do, but it's amazing what God can do. And then this guy, Harry Colcord, he said, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll let you take me across. And his heart sank. He goes, man, this is my publicist. This is the most important thing, important guy I know. And now he's going, and if I lose him, I'm losing my business. But he said, well, no, he said, I got to take him across because he said he was going to go. And all the crowd was there. Many times it was 20,000 people there. And so he told him exactly what to do. And by the way, this may be the application of the message for you today. You want to know what he told him? Look up, Harry. You are no longer Harry Colcord. You are Blondin. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Don't attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we both will go down to our death. Do not try by your performance to be a part of the performance. Let me be the performer. You just hang on to me. Our biggest need is to hang on to Jesus at every point. Because when we try and do it on our own, we're lost. And that's the new covenant experience. How many of you want to have the new covenant experience? It's a new covenant experience. There's always that old covenant experience that's available to you. So, you know, we've learned a lot in our seminar, The Great Reset, but I want to try and reset your minds before you get them unset in the wrong way. Just because you learned all about the law of God, which is very exhilarating and wonderful. Oh, I love thy law. We've studied that all morning, right? And we've, we've decided, I don't want to change God's law. I want to follow God's law, right? We've decided that. But let's remember, we really are fully 100% dependent on God to do any of that in us and through us. How many of you understand what I'm saying? We can do nothing except allow him. To work in and through us. How many want to allow God to work in and through you? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. That's what gets us in trouble, our anxieties. Then we start trying to do it on our own. See if there's any wicked way in me. And one of the wicked ways, what's one wicked way? I'll change God's law so I don't have to worry about it. That's wicked. Is that wicked? Yeah. Another wicked thing is saying what? Oh, I can do it. Just watch me, Mom. Get the camera. Both of those we want to avoid. Amen? See if there's any wicked way in me and do what? Lead me. It's not follow me. Lead me 
And by the way, it says earlier, with your right hand, the right hand was the hand that wrote the law, lead me in the way everlasting. And then our scripture and memory text, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and enter into the gates in the city. So there are going to be those that do the commandments. But notice the original is much more expressive. They have authority over the tree of life, authority founded on a right, this right founded on obedience to the Ten Commandments of God. And that obedience produced by the grace of God working in them, without grace, no obedience, without obedience, no authority to the tree of life, without authority, no right, without right, no enjoyment. God's grace through Christ produces the good and then rewards it as if it had been our own, but it was not our own. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.